Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It is the 26th of July, 2022. This is Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. If you missed Hour 1, it will be posted as a podcast later today at MyFaithRadio.com. Also, all the links and um, and information related to the conversations that we have here, all of the links are posted in those notes for the podcast. So, like, the show notes are there for you as well. So, anything that... You think you hear during the show and you want more information about it or follow up on it yourself, um, that is uh, available for you as well. Where in the word are you today? I am in Jeremiah. I want to encourage you to consider the words of the prophet Jeremiah today. There are some words in Jeremiah 6 that are then repeated in Jeremiah 8. And I want to um, I want to focus on this um this idea that the people in the days of Jeremiah, according to the Lord, had forgotten how to blush. They no longer recognized the reality of sin. And so a couple of verses here from Jeremiah chapter six, and just consider, you know, how the words of this prophet of old um, might ring true in the days in which we now live. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And this is in Jeremiah 6, beginning at verse 10. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will even listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is, an, is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. But I am full of the wrath of the Lord, and, and I cannot hold it in. Pour it out on the children in the street and on the young men gathered together. That is, that's the word of the Lord. Like, pour it out. Both husband and wife will be caught in it. And the old, those weighed down with years, well, their houses will be turned over to others together with their fields and their wives. When I stretch out my hand against those who live in the land, declares the Lord, from the least to the greatest, every single one of them are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, they all practice deceit. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, but there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. Why? They have forgotten how to blush. That same um, word of the Lord delivered through the prophet Jeremiah is repeated in Jeremiah chapter 8. We're picking up at verse 4. It says, say to them, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down. Do they not get up? When someone turns away, do they not return? Why then have my people turned away? Why does Jerusalem turn away? Why do they cling to deceit? Why do they refuse to return? The Lord says, I have listened attentively. 
but they do not say what is right. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, what have I done? Each one pursues their own course like a horse charging into battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her appointed season. The dove, the swift, the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people, they do not know the requirements of the Lord. How can you say, we are wise for we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely? That, that right there is a condemnation of the mishandling of the word of God, by the way. It's a serious offense to the Lord. All right, now picking up at verse 9. This is the word of the Lord delivered through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 8. The wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped since they have rejected the word of the Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I'm going to give their wives to other men, their fields to other owners. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain, prophets and priests alike. All of them practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No. They have no shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. So, they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished. Thus saith the Lord. Why lift up all of this? Because um, shame is something that is rightly and justifiably experienced and felt when we sin against the Lord, when we grieve him, when we mishandle uh, his word. But shame can also be used as a weapon of the world in ways that are not righteous. And so I want to talk about shame and I want to talk about the fact that we live in a culture, most of which has forgotten how to blush, doesn't even recognize sin for what it is, but others use shame as if we could be shamed into not regarding sin for what it is. That conversation is up next with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Joining us now, Justin Gibney. He heads up the AND campaign. He also co-hosts an excellent podcast, the Church Politics Podcast. Justin, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Glad to be here as always. So you had a recent episode um, of your podcast that I just thought was excellent. And so I'd love to talk about the same topic today using the same um, piece from Mere Orthodoxy. So if you guys are looking for um, the article that uh, that Justin and I are going to be directly talking about, you can find it at Jake Meter's website, Mere Orthodoxy, and this is actually a, a Jake Meter piece posted on July the 11th um, on the topic of shame. So, um, Justin, maybe lead us into this by uh, by reading a little bit um, of, of this article in the same way that you did on your podcast, because I thought it was a helpful way to start. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I'd start off by saying I think I do think that uh, Jack did a really good job. And he starts off by saying this. He says shame is, amongst other things, the problem of how to understand yourself and your relationship to your neighbor and the aftermath of offending or hurting your neighbor. Given the fragmentation of our society, we shouldn't be surprised 
uh, that no one seems to know what to do with shame. He goes on to say that uh, for for the most cynical, their superpower is shamelessness. They can do and say anything without uh, any inner sense of guilt or remorse. When called to repent, they rationalize, they self-justify, they mock. Morality has become little more than a political game for them. They can exploit the moral beliefs of anyone to get what they want, um, all the while being bound to no discernible norms themselves. Um, When you're shameless, you don't have any rules, but your opponents do. And so, you know, we know as Christians that we don't live in shame. Uh, But when we do something to somebody, we should feel a a way about it. There should be a level of shame. And I think you did a good job in explaining that. The problem comes, I think, when you have these kind of political mobs. And one of the things that they do is they exploit anything that they can and manipulate it. And so I think a lot of these mobs on the left and on the right manipulate the idea of shame to force to push us into supporting things we shouldn't support and then not speaking up on things we, we should speak up on. Uh, the examples that uh, Jack gave was that on the left, this is kind of how the transgender move it, movement has moved forward. For progressives, many of them have been either shamed in the silence or shamed in su- to supporting something that actually doesn't make a whole lot of sense even to many of them. Uh, on the other side, I think race plays that role where a lot of uh, evangelicals know they should kind of speak up on certain race issues, but won't do it because there is this mob that is shaming them into silence. Yeah, thank you. That's a really helpful summary and I think gets right at the root of what we're talking about. I um, I think that we don't know what to be ashamed of. And so when someone, um, political, particularly the way you describe it, you know, in a political mob, seeks to shame us and for whatever reason we we still want to be accepted by that group right that's when shame gets used as a weapon of the world against us it's about preserving some kind of status among that group that's the only power that that they would have in terms of shaming us is if it were more important for us to be regarded well by them than to be regarded well by god yeah, that's right. So on the progressive side, I see this with, with some of my friends and even experienced at one time myself. If you want to be invited to the cocktail parties, if you want to be a, a part of what they're doing, then you do have to accept that. So there's a level and I see this a, 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 with a lot of Christian. There's a level of seeking validation, uh, just wanting to be one of the one of the group instead of standing up for what you should. not. And again, I think that happens on both sides. Sometimes it happens in academic uh, areas where if you want to be in certain seminaries or whatever, you know, there's a certain things to talk about and certain things that you shouldn't. So these, it, it has real consequences. I mean, there's shame, but then there's also ways that you can be held back professionally and, and, and on and on. But as Christians, uh, we should think of that as the cost of discipleship. And we should have enough faith to say, you know what, I might miss out on this cocktail party, or I may have to take a different direction uh, professionally but it's worth it and God is going to uh, take care of me for for doing what he's asked me to do. Yeah, that's so good. The cost of discipleship language is really good. I think there's a conversation here to be had about moral courage. We're going to continue our conversation with Justin Gibney from the And Campaign. We're talking about shame. We're using um, a piece uh, from Mere Orthodoxy to do it. The title of that piece is simply Shame. Um, Up next, we're going to have a conversation about ways in which... um, Uh, The civil rights movement 
really has been drawn into this as a false parallel to by those who want to seek uh, the advancement of the transgender conversation today. And I'm going to ask Justin to help us unpack all of that. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. When do we feel shame? When do we feel it rightly and justly? And when is it projected upon us as a weapon of the world seeking to actually get us to uh, buy into something that is, in fact, shameful? Justin Gibney is here from the Ann Campaign. We're just unpacking this uh, in the cultural conversations of the day, particularly as it applies to transgenderism on the one side. And then I would say um, the co-opting of civil rights language in relationship to that. So no better person to help us with this conversation than Justin. Justin, um, how do we see shame being used as a weapon of the world um, by trans activists today? And then I want to talk about the moral courage of the civil rights movement and how that is different than the shaming that gets used um, today uh, in these political mobs. Yeah. One thing I always want to start off in saying in this conversation about the kind of transgender activism is that I always ask people to see the hurting people behind the activist. So uh, as we get into that, I do want to say that there are people that are hurting uh, that are struggling with this, and that is real. And the church can do a lot better job in dealing with uh, our neighbors who are dealing with transgender issues. So I do want to say that this is not a cold-hearted, who cares what they're going through type thing. But I think when it comes to some of these activists, you know, this is a movement that is very well funded, uh, that obviously has a hold on academia, has a, <clears throat> excuse me, has a hold on the press, and so they've used that to to really, I think you know, uh, to challenge people. I mean, you've seen situations where people have lost their jobs. People have been canceled on social media. They've been drugged all, you know, you do do a Google search on some people and their name is just mud simply because they disagreed. And one of the problems with the transgender conversation is there has not been a debate. It's just been, Hey, academia and some other folks say, these are the rules. Here's what you can say. Here's what you can't say. You better go along with it or else that type of posture um that that you know bullying and that's not what happened with the civil rights movement so a lot of folks like to use the civil rights movement it's good for branding um and if you can tie what you're doing to that you know it's hard to it's hard to fight against it but if you look at the civil rights movement it was completely different it did not use money and power to bully people around it was about courage it was about talking to people and helping them understand why this was the right way to go. Of course, there was civil disobedience and things of that nature, but coming from a completely different place. And so I've compared 
uh, what what's happening in the transgender movement more so to the white citizens council who ba- who basically in the south used economic terrorism uh, to to go against you know desegregation and things like that. I think that movement is more like uh, the white citizens council uh, council than it is like the civil rights movement, just based on the tactics that they use. Yeah, and sometimes that's what's hard for people to sort out. They they see a group of people protesting. They don't really know what the limits of of that, you know, sort of rightly or justly are. And they don't really know the difference between moral courage and public shaming. Like there is a difference, but it's nuanced and just a lot of people aren't um they've never with they've never stood up themselves they've never taken a a morally courageous position and so they don't know how to distinguish moral courage um when you know when it's when god's calling you to stand there versus going along with some um energized mm-hmm. activated um ideology that has right. n- that has no connection whatsoever to the truth it's completely delusional and yet right. people get easily swept up in it because they don't want to be left out. It's it's that's what it feels like to me. No, that's right. I think one thing we have to keep in mind is that for anything to be moral, for it to be moral courage, it has to be tied to a virtue. So just because you're standing up against some type of establishment doesn't mean that you're right. Because sometimes you're standing up to something that's been established that actually is good, like, you know, uh, like the institution of marriage or something like that. And I think we get into what I call this empty defiance where we think just because we're being defiant, we're being moral and we're on the right mm. side. And that's just not the case. You have to go back to the Bible. You have to go back to that biblical framework to see, is this tied to virtue or am I actually standing up against something that I shouldn't be? And I need to be a little, you know, I need to kind of run this through biblical scrutiny. And so that's a really important distinction for people to make yeah that is really i think that for a lot of folks today that right there is the rub and and this in group out group thing is also a huge part of this conversation and over time justin i think there are people who you know they were they were right on the edge of being in the out group and so it was kind of cool and so they um they spoke with some uh some stronger moral authority, but now they're not just the in-group of their group, like they're in leadership in the in-group of their group. And it -hmm. seems as if in the midst of that, they lost all their moral courage. And so I think there is the, um, the way in which rising to a position of authority and or um, perceived power, it then it then seems to delude people into imagining that the thing that they are now advocating for is virtuous, even though it's not like they're anyway. I know that's kind of a complex statement, but I hope you know what I'm pointing to. No, I get what you're saying. I, you know, we have to look at the root and the foundation of what we're representing. If the root and the foundation aren't right, nothing else is, is going to be right. And so even in our book, Compassion and Conviction, we talk a lot about Christians understanding that what they represent fits within a biblical framework. And oftentimes, you know, we see something negative on the other side and we just assume that everything on the other side is negative. So as long as I'm going against those conservatives or as long as I'm going against those progressives, then I'm right. Unfortunately, it's more complicated than that. And so we need to have 
more nuanced uh, when we engage uh, publicly. <laughs> Complicated, intelligent, nuanced conversation in the public square today. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a heavy lift, but man, that's the lift, that's the lift worth making. So I'm glad we're lifting together in the same direction. Um, you know, I love and appreciate uh, who you are and what you're doing. So keep up the good work at the end campaign and keep coming and talking with us so we can have nuanced, intelligent, substantive, virtuous conversations with each other. Cause that's what we need. Take care, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You too, Justin. Thank you so much. You're listening to mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge and this is faith radio. Hey, do you know uh, what a stale green light is? Do you accelerate when the light changes yellow? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. These are some questions that I have for you today. How about red light, green light? Do you remember playing red light, green light when you were a kid? You know, you have this clearly defined area. You got to have a starting line. You got to have a finish line. Everybody starts on the starting line. Uh, I don't know who 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 gets to be the person who who calls out green light or red light. Yeah. Well, so when you hear the word green light, you you start moving toward the finish line. Now you have to be able to start and stop quickly in this game. So because uh, when they say red light, you have to stop immediately. And if you're still moving, um, then you got to go back to the starting line and start over. And so you you start a new round when everybody gets all the way across the finish line. Um, and there's all kinds of variations of red light, green light. So when was the last time you played red light, green light? And why bring this up today? Because there is an approach to um, parenting that is, uh, uses these signals of, of a traffic light, red, yellow, and green. Um, and so signals offers this really simple relational approach to helping us become aware of our own emotions the impact those emotions have on others, and then, um, you know, how to relate to our kids related to things that trigger them. Red light, green light, yellow light. Yep, we're going to talk about all of this with Cheryl Lynn Orr. The book is Signals, How Brain Science and the Bible Help Parents Raise Resilient Children. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Sherry Lynn Orr is joining us. She um, She's coming to us from Athens, Greece. So even though she is, quote, not a morning person by nature, joining us on Mornings with Carmen from the middle of the day. Sherry Lynn, so great to talk with you. Thank you. I'm so glad to join you. <laughs> so I appreciate it uh, in, the, in the opening of Signals. You, um, you talk about the reality of your life. And so I would love for you to describe it because I think that um, it's going to help people understand why you are able to talk with us about not only brain science and the Bible, but the reality of raising resilient children because you have done so and you continue to do so. So take us into sort of the day in, in the life of um, to help us get started here. Well, I am uh, a mom of uh, children, many children. I have seven children, and my oldest is now just recently got married, and I have a, a grandson. 
And so I'm very excited about that. He's just a tiny little baby. And I, my youngest is uh, 12 years old now. So that kind of takes me from uh, that entering that uh, tween years right through to uh, learning what it's like to be a grandma. So that's kind of my uh, journey. Um, and I am so excited because I've been able to walk through this journey with uh, not just uh, biological children, but also uh, adoptive children, children with special needs, uh, children um, that have, we've also had the opportunity of fostering. So you guys can check out what Sherry Lynn is doing. The website is thestoplightapproach.org, thestoplightapproach.org. The book is Signals, How Brain Science and the Bible Help Parents Raise Resilient Children. Um, it opens with a description of um, a day in the life when Sherry Lynn was in Uganda. The morning um, featured in the opening scene of the book is harrowing. Um, let's just say this. She's familiar with real chaos, um, but the chaos of life um, may not always be as like my experience of the chaos of life versus another person's experience of the chaos of life is all you know, it, it's all locational and circumstantial. And so it's not, we're not competing with one another to see, you know, sort of like who can out chaos the other. What we're trying to do is understand who we are as God has designed us as human beings, who we are in relationship with these precious children um, whom God has entrusted to our care um, and how we can help them um, become the most resilient people they can be. So that's what the conversation is about. Sherry Lane, take us into this. Um, first of all, you know, sort of like what's the vision here um, of the stoplightapproach.org and the book Signals? What's what's the vision? Why are you doing this? Well, I I it started uh, when my um, adopted daughter, you know, here I was an educator. I had worked in different countries. And here I was an educator, and now I adopted a child that came out of uh, a lot of challenging and trauma and um, and all of the things that I had learned, all of the things of uh, behavior management and um, how I was, you know, about the rule, follow the rules, obey the rules. And if you don't obey them, then, you know, there's uh, punishments and fear-based and and um and I was a rewards queen, so it was kind of like, and if you do obey them, here's the reward. So, you know, it was about engaging these uh, children to get the task done, whatever that task was, whether it be as a teacher or as a parent. Um, but uh, then you adopted a child who, who didn't care about my rules and didn't care about my rewards or my punishments, and all of a sudden, my world was crashing in every which direction. And uh, I was with a, a good friend of mine um, who was also a behavior consultant. And, and my child was um, on the floor screaming out of control. And she said, here, let me try. And she sat down and within, within minutes, she had my child up on the seat doing what she was supposed to be doing, which would have taken me the next hour to, to try to accomplish. And, uh, and I just looked at her and I said, what did you do? You know, here I am, somebody with a master's degree, somebody who's been trained in so many uh, different elements of uh, child development. And, um, and she said, it's about the brain. It's about how do you speak to the child's brain? How do you understand their brain? And, uh, and that changes everything. Because if you can speak and 
change the brain, then you can change the behavior. So that was a huge paradigm shift for me. And it sent me down a whole world of uh, studying about the brain science and, and looking at how God, our creator, has created our brain and how much um, uh, science is just trying to catch up to what God has already done and, and how as I learned about brain science and I learned that it is a complete paradigm shift from the way that um, the way that we traditionally teach and work with children. And then I look at God, the creator and how he mirrors that. So that was extremely exciting for me uh, in this journey. So we're talking with Sherry Lynn Orr. We're talking about her brand new book, Signals, How Brain Science and the Bible Help Parents Raise Resilient Children. You can find Sherry Lynn and lots of information related to this same topic at thestoplightapproach.org. And yes, we're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Sherry Lynn, you, um, you, you talk about uh, the brain and traffic signs and so you say like traffic signs along the road our brain is continually sending signals to help us react and respond to our environment so help us recognize red brain yellow brain and green brain because that really gets us into the stoplight metaphor well the stoplight you know when you start to understand that they're um like the the brain is so complex so we're just trying to simplify it into three main areas um the neocortex which we call green that is when your child that your partner your uh, your neighbor they're ready to learn they're ready to engage you can problem solve you can uh, they're using 100% of their IQ. And then we have that limbic system, which, you know, from the traffic signals, it's like, be careful, cautious, because that's a fear brain state. And that's when it's it's an alarm that's going off that's saying something's not quite right. You know, that's when you're kind of uh, annoyed or tired or frustrated. Things aren't just going well. And your brain is like working at 75% and you're stressed. Um, and then you can flip into what we call red brain. And that is when you are only using 50% of your IQ and you are in that fight, flight, or freeze. And when you're in that brain state, you don't have the capacity for empathy. You don't have the capacity to problem solve. All you can do at that point is learn through rote learning. So as a parent, um, you start to realize if I'm trying to teach my child a new skill, it takes him 12 to 15 times to learn that new skill when he is in that green brain state. Um, but that same child, that same skill, it will take 350 to 400 times to learn this skill and it can only be done through rote learning. So that's really challenging. Um, it's like as a parent, you think, do I wanna teach my child 12 to 15 times or do I wanna teach them 350? 50 to 400 times the same skill. So um, as you look at that, you say, okay, but to get out of red brain, what does the brain need? The brain needs to feel safe. And if you want to get out of that yellow brain, that uh, stressed uh, part of that brain, um, that brain needs connection. That brain needs to feel seen, heard, and valued. You might disagree with what your child has done, 
or your spouse is done, but they still need to be seen, heard, and valued. And at that point, you can get them back up to green brain where you can actually train them. That's when you can actually disciple and, and help your child to learn because we know that challenging children are challenging because they don't have the skills not to be challenging. And so if we can give them the skill set that they need, then they are able to, um, um, to be able to learn the skill that we want them to learn. Wow. Okay. So you are, um, you're opening a whole new world to us today. Um, and we want to know more about it. We want to be able to recognize uh, where our child is. If they are in red brain, yellow brain, or green brain, we certainly want to know how to move them from one to the other. And that is going to be dependent upon how we respond. And so um, we're going to learn how to be brain detectives. That is up next with Sherry Lynn Orr. We're talking about her new book, Signals, How Brain Science and the Bible Help Parents Raise Resilient Children. You can enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Sherry Lynn Orr, we're talking about her book, Signals, How Brain Science and the Bible Help Parents Raise Resilient Children. Um, so Sherry Lynn, help us to become brain detectives. What does that mean and what might be the first step in that direction? Well, I think the first step in that direction is looking at yourself because the stoplight starts with you. Because if I'm in red and uh, I'm going to make the entire household in red. And, uh, and uh, so it's like, how do I first create that gap from the behavior I see to getting my own brain state back to green so that I can actually uh, work with my children and help them um, come out of whatever brain state they are in into a place where I can actually train them. So I would just challenge you first to be looking at yourself. And when I when I look at behavior and I, I come into a situation, let's say I come into the house and, um, and my whole living room um, is one end of sheets to the other and they've taken apart my entire house and they've made these incredible forts that just happened to me the other week. And, and you are just got company coming. You see every sheet and blanket that you need up there. You see uh, animals crawling on it. And all of a sudden you just see tons and tons of work and you see uh, these children, they were supposed to be doing this, 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 and now they're doing this. And it's so fast for your brain just to go to red because you suddenly feel stressed. How am I going to do this? Um, and and you look and you have to say, what brain state 
are my children in right now? Um, they are happily working with the three-year-old in the house that's living with us, and they um, have uh, they their brain state is in green, but my brain state is now flipping to red because of the incredible mess that I see in the house, and I have the looming company that it's going to be shortly arriving, and I have a choice at that point to put my children into red with my own redness, or I can take a deep breath, take a gap, grab a glass of water, and then call my kids over and talk to them about what the situation is and how we can work together to get everything cleaned up and organized and value what they have been doing. So that's sometimes really hard for a parent because they want to, uh, they see their own need as they go into red. And so the same thing can happen if I see my kids fighting. You know, um, it's easy for me to go to red. So I have to get myself to green first and, and I have to call them over because the same behavior maybe have a different root cause. So if you see a, what is a red behavior to me might actually be a green brain state. So that's also a little bit of tricky to think. So you call them over and you say, so what's going on here? And they might say, you know, we saw we were just play fighting or we saw a movie and we were acting this out. And so immediately you could tell what brain state, that's a green brain state. Those kids need to, to be, um, to be challenged because you should not be standing on the edge of the balcony with um, and pushing each other because that's very dangerous, you know? So it's a, a red situation, but their brain state is very green and you can coach them at that point. So when they're in green, they're ready for coaching and they're ready for training. If they're in that yellow brain state and they're agitated and annoyed at one another, that is when they need connection. And they need to be seen, heard, and valued at that particular point. You might disagree with what's going on, but you need to listen to them out. And then there's the time when you come around and they are just all out punching each other out. And uh, you call them and they are angry, angry, angry at each other. And at that point, there is no way that you can talk to a child in, in that red brain state. They don't have the capacity to hear you. All they hear is meh, 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 meh. If you start to talk to them, they need you to be that calming force. They need you to be regulated so that you can then provide that uh, a time for them to get back in, uh, in their green brain state. And you have to take them back from red to yellow to green. But it's a process and, um, and they need to feel safe with you and then connected with you, and then you can talk about the problem. So you can't talk about it when they're in red. You can't talk about it uh, when they're in yellow. You can only discuss the problem when they're back to the green brain state, and then we can do the redo and say, okay, what should we have done first? You know, like how could we have uh, handled this problem and do a redo? I, I, does that help you understand it a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also thinking to myself, um, a lot of us did not, we were not parented in this way. And so parenting in this way is going to mean new learning for us, um, which I'm thankful that my brain works the way that it does. And, you know, God makes it possible for me to learn new things and unlearn things that I might have learned at other points in time um, so that I can do this better. Like I can be more resilient and that then creates the possibility of me raising more resilient children. But what if we've already messed up? Like what, you know, 
what do you say to those of us who we already know that we've messed up? Well, we've all messed up. That's just part of humanity. And, um, and we were raised differently. And we did the best we could with the knowledge we had. I mean, that's, uh, that's what we knew. We don't, we don't condemn the doctor who didn't know that he should have washed his hands before going from surgery to surgery back in the day, uh, because he, he did what he knew. Um, so as we learn new information, then it's how God can you help us? And how can I um, repair that with my kids? And children don't need a, a perfect parent. They need a repentant parent and a parent who's able to say, I'm sorry, um, I messed up. Um, so I think that gives us an incredible hope. We have a God that just loves us so very much. And I love the fact that Stoplight matches who our creator is. It's like he just loves us so much that he is that perfect caregiver. And so when we mess up, he doesn't say, get out of here, go to your room timeout. When you get your life to bed together, come back to me. Uh, he's a God that says, I can handle your big emotions. I am your safety. I am your refuge. And he also says, um, I, because he wants us to come out of red brain. So he creates that sense mm -hmm. of safety. And then he wants us to come out of yellow brain. So he says, I love you. I love you just as you are, not as you want to be, not as you should be, not as you could be. I delight in you. And Zephaniah talks about how he sings over us, hmm. not because we're worthy of that, but because we are his child. And then he gets us to green brain. Um, and then he says, oh, I'm not going to leave you in your mess. Whatever you've done, you know, if it's your addictions, your anger, whatever thing you're struggling with in your relationships, he says, I'm not going to leave you in your mess. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help you every step of the way. And he says, you know, I am your strength. Um, and uh, he just takes us through that. And you could do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And God is a God that says, um, perfect love casts out fear. He doesn't want us living in that red brain or that yellow brain state. He wants us living that fullness of life in that green brain state. But red and yellow are not bad. They are alarms to say something's not right. And how do I work with that? And, and in order to get myself back to green. So helpful. Help? It's so helpful. The book is great. It is called Signals, How Brain Science and the Bible Help Parents Raise Resilient Children. You can find Sherry Lynn and, um, and this entire scope of work at thestoplightapproach.org. It's not just help for parents. It's help for educators. It works across cultures, um, not just, uh, you know, here in the United States, but around the world. It is proven over time. Sherry Lynn would love to connect with you. So I invite you to do that the stoplightapproach.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, green light. It's time to go, right? All right, we go sometimes, you know, in ways that are a little bit cautionary and Yes, we stop when God says, be still and know that I am God. Maybe that's a good reminder for us when we get all hot and bothered and ginned up and, you know, we see red. 
Maybe that would be a good time for us to be still. What have you learned this month about rest? That's been our theme for the month here in the month of July at MyFaith Radio and at MyFaithRadio.com. You can check out some great resources related to rest there at the website. Next month, we're going to be talking about peace. So I am already thinking about the peace which passes all understanding and what it means for you and I to be people who sow peace in the world today, not only to be peacemakers, but to be peace sowers. Got to move from red to yellow to green in order to do that. So, all right, get ready, get set. Green light. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.